The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild course language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian, or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax, this is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson, hello. Hi. I have Ramona on my lap as well today. Yeah. She started on my lap. Normally what happens is that, well, they're having a bit of a, like a run around in the backyard, mm. getting out some energy, and we're yeah. hoping that might calm them down. But Winnie, as usual, has discovered a bottle yeah. and is now bringing it in. People can probably hear it. Uh, she always, like, as soon as we start the podcast, she's like, now she's ripping the label off the bottle? Why, why don't you just get her, like, soft toys that she can oh, chew? mate. These dogs have everything. 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 I mean, what do you think? What do you think? In this house, these dogs have everything that they want. But they want. But what they the- really want is a bottle, a plastic bottle. Bad for the environment, but they love it. There you go. Take a little bit of video. This is like an audio visual medium now, Tofop. Well, really, it's just Charlie's Instagram and this podcast, but <laughs> I like it. Hello, Ramona. Um, so, yeah, she's on my lap, so we can start. You know, we can start with some momentum. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, did you see Tom Cruise drop his exclusive on Sunrise? Uh well, I was. I went to the screening, the the Mummy screening. Are you talking about the dark, the dark universe? Okay. Well, maybe we could start about the dark universe, and okay. then you maybe you haven't heard about the no. the bombshell, the world exclusive that Tom Cruise, prominent movie star and Scientologist, decided to drop on Australian TV, Channel 7's very own Sunrise with Sam Mac. With Sam Mack, yes. He was between Sam Mack and... He was being interviewed by Sam Mack and the Cash Cow. <laughs> and they Sam got, was playing his guitar. They got a bombshell. Yeah, Sam was doing a parody song yeah. that he'd composed about Tom Cruise. And the Cash Cow was just actually getting money from Tom. Tom actually funds the Cash Cow. These crews were made for walking. Was that what the song was called? Tom is just a really big supporter of the Cash Cow. And Channel 7 can't actually afford it. Uh, Tom Cruise has been the personal sponsor of the Cash Cow for about the last three years. It's why he's making so many movies again. Yeah, it's cash cow money. Yeah, he's got to, he's got to pay he's got to pay off all the uh, all the debtors of the cash cow. The cash cow doesn't want to get its legs broken. Well, that's the thing. It's not just the the money that the cash cow owes people, like obviously <laughs> from Sunrise, but the cash cow also owes people. By the way, that's not. I, I've now put sound effects on the podcast, or if a joke doesn't work, crickets, crickets in the background. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, no, the cash cow obviously has a lot of gambling debts as well. Just yeah. not good with his money. No. I mean, look, yeah, he's given it away on television. He's seal- clearly going to be given it I away I saw the cash the cow selling one of his, one of his stomachs, one of his four stomachs. Oh, mate, he's only got three left. Yeah. yeah he's giving stomach operations right around town. Often wakes up in a bathtub full of ice, <laughs> which is great because you can make iced coffee immediately, which is actually really <laughs> nice. But, but yeah, no, he's got a lot of... He's down the casino all the time. Yeah, mad gambler. Um, yeah. Loves blackjack, black or white. I mean, he's a black and white cow, so I guess that's his. I think I've met a few cash cows in my time working yeah. for Seven, at least a couple. And I asked them and about what's the hardest thing about being a cash cow. And yeah. apparently the odour within that suit is overwhelming. 
Do they not wash the cash cow suit? I, well, I guess it would you... shrink or whatever, right? Like, what's it made of? It's not made of actual cow, cow, right? I think leather. So. No, they haven't got a leather. I mean, that would stink. that would be amazing. Is that why it stinks so much? <laughs> they literally just hollowed out an actual cow. Well, I think what makes it smell is generally the person in the cow is is so active because you're shaking your hands about and you're dancing about and you're being cash cowish. Sweaty work, given away. Sweaty cash. work. Sweaty work. Sweaty work. Yeah. I mean, what's the OH and S requirements there? If you have, to, if you're a mascot, if you have to put on a suit, like surely. Like if you go buy a sandwich from a deli, they have to put on gloves as they handle your food. Right. So surely you should be handled some kind of like, I don't know, latex uh, suit you slip on before you get inside that sweaty cash cow. Here's what I was thinking the other day when I was watching uh, Batman Returns. Right. That's the second one, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was watching Batman Returns the other night. Why? Because it's got because you you wanted to know if mistletoe was poisonous if you eat it. Well, you know what the great thing is deadly. Oh, deadly. Yeah. Sorry, a kiss can be deadly. Ah, oh, that's if right. You mean it? <laughs> uh, Anybody be, want a peanut? <laughs> to be honest, that was part of the reason I was watching. Right for that it one. It was line. on, and I was like, I am going to enjoy when they go with that, and I got to see both the setup and the payoff uh, yeah. of the mistletoe moments, <laughs> uh, but. Well, because that's right, because that's when they realise That's that, when you realise this. Yeah, they're on the, the dance floor. Not the fact that they're two superhumans who look exactly the same as the people and they've been kissing and making out. No, yeah. that hasn't occurred to them <laughs> at any stage that their voices are exactly the same and they're clearly the exact people. But no, 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 An obscure phrase uttered, that's what trips them off. I was actually thinking about Batman Returns the other day, specifically Catwoman, and I was thinking... Was Michelle Pfeiffer's... I mean, obviously, there's the Julie Newmar portrayal of Catwoman, but is Michelle Pfeiffer's cinematically so far the best Catwoman we've had? Is it better than Anne Hathaway's? I think it is. I it's say a- yes. I say In terms of what the character is, like the way she was created by getting licked by a bunch of cats after falling out of a window, obviously yeah. nonsensical. But the actual portrayal of the Catwoman, I think, is probably better than the Anne Hathaway one. And she has, like, I mean, it's implied or is it actually just a plot point that she has, like, more than one life? Like, does she die several times in it? Like, because there's a point... Twice. She does yeah. twice. Oh, and no, she gets shot a bunch of times as well. So. Right. So it is implied that she's been given the power of, like, nine lives, like a cat does. Yeah. At really some stage during the movie, she references that. She yeah. goes, I've got nine lives and I've only used seven of them or whatever. It yeah, is. how many what bullets it... you got left in that gun or something yeah. like that? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't actually never really thought about it, but you're right. Like there's an there's an element of mysticism in that Batman film. Like she has harnessed the power of cats. Right. <laughs> to to come up with and apparently what cats love is cat based wordplay. <laughs> Apparently, if you turn into a cat, everything you say in the rest of the movie has to be not in the way a cat would say it. Because I imagine cats um, having many more conversations about, I might just sit here for a while. Do you like sitting down? Mm. Has anyone got any fish? Yeah. But apparently, what they really like to do is just work the words cat or like meow into like different sentences. Yeah. Well, it's she has the attitude of a cat, I think, more than yeah. Anne Hathaway. Like in terms of that kind of... Cocky, arrogant, don't need you, you're beneath me. I think Michelle Pfeiffer had that going more than the, the Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway was more of like an aggrieved cat burglar. What was her story again? Yeah, she was a cat burglar. Yeah, but but she was she was paying off a debt because she was on some list, right? That's yeah. why she kept... She wanted to go clean, yeah. but she couldn't because she was on some... And she needed the whatever, the universal eraser. I can't remember what they called yeah. it. Yeah. But the thing that didn't really exist. That's right. That's that Ben right. Mendelsohn had. Was it, oh, hang on, wasn't it Bane who was making her do, or was it Ben Mendelsohn? Yeah, it was Ben Mendelsohn. So this is a problem with, 
Look, I know you love the Christopher Nolan films, but I reckon they would be so much better if they just streamlined the plots a little bit more. Like, there's way too much going on. And I'm so sick of films where some scientist has created something which bad guys have stolen and then going to reverse engineer into, like, something that's going to end the world. If you're inventing that machine, like, surely that would be a consideration that, oh, this shouldn't be easily modified to then become, like, a world-killing machine, right? Well, I mean, that's an inherent flaw. Yes. But, you know, a lot of these machines that are for good can be also used for evil. I mean, that was the atomic bomb, right? It wasn't originally, that technology wasn't really originally developed to make bombs. What was it developed for? Microwaves. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> atomic wedges were originally atomic powered. It was just one guy trying to give a really good wedge. Well, you're splitting an atom to create energy. That's yep. that's that's what essentially uh, uh, like atomic power is, right? Yeah, sure. Let's guess about science. <laughs> <laughs> so, what would so if the the idea of splitting an atom to create energy, yes, that has good applications. But the idea of putting it in a giant metal cylinder filled with shrapnel or whatever you know goes into a bomb, I mean that had no. As soon as it goes in that metal cylinder, it only has one purpose. Yeah, but even then, people might argue the relative merits or morality of bombs, you know? Is there such a good a thing as, like, a, a good bomb, right? If you argue that, like, say America got rid of all their bombs, mm -hmm. right? If they completely shut down, uh, you know, the US military, got rid of all the nuclear weapons, those sort of things, um, would that make the world safer? Well, it's the, what's, what do they call There's a term for it, isn't it? Where it's like, you have weapons so no one else will fuck with you. What's, right. What's it, what's, is there, do you know what I'm talking about? There's yeah, I do know what you mean, but yeah, I can't I remember, remember the term at the time. Because I guess it's like being in the States, the fact that everyone has a handgun. Like People yeah. say, oh, that's why people are so polite to you, you know, when right. you're driving and stuff, is because yeah. they don't know if you've got a 12-gauge under your seat. I mean, it's... it's I'm not sure that sound logic. I mean, it's reasonable logic. <laughs> is it? I think so. Like, I often, if somebody cuts me off in LA traffic, I just go, you know what? They might have a gun. Do you really? So yeah, that is give them a, good... a little finger wave. That's all right, mate. I'm sure you're in a rush. Well, I do remember being at a bar in LA about 10 years ago, and these guys were sitting at the table next to us, like they took a dislike to me for some reason. So I was being a bit of a smart ass back to them. And then I did have someone say, hey, you shouldn't just mouth off to complete strangers in a bar in LA because you don't know if you know they've got guns. Something you never really have to consider in Australia. Like, I can't fight. There's a high, a high chance that if I mouth off to someone at a bar in Australia, I could get my head kicked in. But that's, yeah. you know, that's a risk they I'm have willing muscles. to take. Yeah, yeah they, they might not be armed, but they have arms. arms yeah. Therefore, they could still hurt you. <laughs> so you only see Charlie giving shit to people who have no arms. <laughs> They're like, what's going on with Charlie? He really seems to hate armless He's people. hanging out at RSLs a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, geez, really. I mean, he's been very supportive of the Paralympics, but some of the stuff he yells over the fence is you, really offensive. You know what happened to Charlie? He got fucking kicked to death the other night. A guy with no arms kicked the shit out of him. It's weird. Charlie's now working in rehab for jugglers who've had accidents <laughs> in the workplace with chainsaws. It's very weird. Uh, so I'm watching Batman Returns. Right. And uh, one of the things that occurred to me, because at one stage Michael Keaton um, goes into, he's like into the, the Batcave. Yeah. And he goes into his like Batsuit room. Yep. His Batsuit closet or whatever. Yeah, it's Vault. And he has like eight or 10 or 12 Hanging or on coat hangers. I Hanging believe. on coat hangers. Yeah. <laughs> so the Batsuits, that's one of the things. That, Straight, one, they're covered in plastic with a laundry tag still on them. <laughs> I think one of the things... <laughs> Well, that's, I guess you're actually getting to the point that I was going to try to ask you about, which is, is he ever putting on, like, why does he need 12? Because they appear to be in Battle this. damage. Yeah, but 12? 
Well, yeah. I mean, okay, let's say how often is he going out a week? Is he going out every night? Let's say he's going out every night. Every you only night. need like like your jock seven days in Rio. Yeah, that's, that's what Alfred gets him for Christmas: seven new bat suits, one in each color. No, I think I think I think ten is reasonable. I mean, the other thing too is if you were to go into maybe the comic book law, Batman always has suits for different occasions. So yeah. maybe there's a tactical suit, maybe there's a stealth suit, maybe there's a. But I mean, if, they do look exactly. They the look same. exactly the same. Yeah. So if there is a stealth suit, and if there is a, surely you would keep them in separate places. So in a rush situation, <laughs> Batman didn't go down and grab what he thought was the stealth suit. <laughs> it was actually the makes the noise of crickets cheeping when his phone rings suit. Like yeah. I mean, I, they're just for different purposes. Well, I guess the thing about those bat suits too, because they're those padded foam rubber ones. Like it takes away in the comic books, superheroes just wear the suit under their clothes, so they don't. They're never confronted with that situation of, oh, shit, like, how quickly can I get this suit on? But that that bat suit would not fit well under, like, a normal business suit, would it? I mean... There wouldn't be, like, gee, Bruce Wayne's gotten fat. No, you certainly can't keep it on under your other things. No, just squeaking, the rubber squeaking with every single move you make. <laughs> it's a weird hat he's wearing, too. It looks like it has ears <laughs> on it. Yeah, I didn't even think of that, because... He could wear the suit under his outfit, but he's still got that fucking bulky cowl. You're right. Like, where's he carrying that? Does he well, have, like, a man bag? No, I just assume he has it around his neck, like like a hoodie. A hoodie. Yeah, ah, it just perfect. hangs down the back. <laughs> I don't think Bruce is really trying to protect his secret identity anymore. He literally had his cowl hanging off the back of his jumper like a hoodie. Like a hoodie. He said it was Friday night footy. What? <laughs> so weird. Um, uh, so, yeah, there's, yeah. like, 12 suits. They all look exactly the same. Yeah. And so then it gets me a question of laundry. Who's mm. who's washing that? Who's cleaning them? How often are they cleaning them? Is he re... Say you go out to thwart Alfred. like a... Yeah, okay, but just give me... I'll ask you some okay. hypotheticals, okay, right? Sure. Say you've got 12 suits. Yep. But say, for example, like you've got like, you know, some clean t-shirts mm-hmm. and then some, you've gone to bed, but then suddenly you have to go outside and like let the dog out or you have to go outside and like put the bins out in the street or whatever. Yeah. So you grab a t-shirt. Yeah. And you wear it out into the street, you put the bins out, mm. and then you bring it back inside. Yeah. Does that just go back into the cupboard with all the other ones? Yes. Okay. So, if you're Batman, mm. and you go out, and you think it's going to be like the Penguin or Catwoman or something like that, but it's just like an average burglar, and you thwart the burglary or whatever, and you go home, does mm. that bat suit then need to be washed, or is that just that a bat suit you can put on again? Yeah, it depends on the nature of, of, of the evening. Like, if, he, if it was a, a lot of combat, I imagine he's wanting to get a, like, for instance, when I go to the gym, I will, I have my gym gear, right? Right. And I'll probably wear the same outfit two, maybe three sessions in a row because it's like, well, I don't, I'm going to, my shittiest clothes will be the ones I work out in. And so I will wear them to the point where I've sweated too much, like where it's repulsive to take off. That's when... I'll swap out a t-shirt. So I'd say Batman would do the same thing where it's like... With the bat suit. Average B&E. So sometimes he's getting into like... When he's about to go and fight crime, he has to get into like a sneaky bat, bat suit. suit. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there would have to be an occasion where... Just say someone springs all the inmates out of Arkham. So uh-huh. he's working fucking like 20 hours a day. For like a week. Seven days. For two weeks. Oh, for two right? weeks. Okay. So he's, he's, right. bur- so he's burnt through... Just say he's only got 10 suits. So yeah. a week and a half into it, he's burnt through it. And I'd say he's probably got Alfred doing other shit. Everyone, right. all Alfred has no time for laundry. So in he, the middle of the Arkham Asylum crisis, so he would go to his bat laundry basket, just pull out a suit, give it a bit of a sniff. <laughs> Which one stinks less? What can I get away with? That'd be a great scene from the movie if he went to that room where the twelve were originally. There was none left, and he has to go over to the laundry basket <laughs> <laughs> to sniff them. Just go. I reckon I can wear this cowl. Yeah. Uh, so Alfred's washing them. You think? 
Yeah, either that or is everything that sends happens, them to St Kilda, sends them down to uh, the industrial, <laughs> the industrial dry cleaners. Well, you can't. But they wouldn't be dry clean. They're made of like you know, sort of rubber and armor and shit. So you're going to have to. Wash what is them the process than, of dry cleaning? I mean, that's a rabbit hole that I, you know, we've I mean, already gone down. A few, like, but is it actually you, they clean your clothes without getting them wet? I mean, I assume. <laughs> like. Is that a weird question? No. It's one of those things that we all just accept. Dry cleaning. Yeah, it's dry cleaning. Oh, it's dry clean only. Yeah. You got to dry clean so that So what mate. are you doing when you're dry cleaning? You're spraying it with no powder? Idea. Like odor eating powder? I think I asked my, because I get my clothes done at a laundromat and I think I asked the guy once and he couldn't answer it for me. He didn't even know where it was going. Made me realize that my laundromat's a, f- a front for a, a drug a drug operation. <laughs> he actually had no idea. He goes, oh, we've never washed anything. No. Well, he said, we just send them off. We don't actually know right. what the price is. Yeah, we're just a front. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're just the middleman, mate. drug operation. Uh, dry cleaning is any cleaning process for clothing and textiles. Oh, it's okay. So, textiles, uh, bat yeah. suits. So it might be dry clean only. Yeah. Imagine if it says that on the back of the yeah. <laughs> bat suits, dry clean only. It's like a, it's got a little picture of an iron with a cross through it. You don't want to iron out those preset abs anyway. <laughs> yeah, they're meant to be there. They're yeah. not wrinkles, mate. <laughs> uh, dry cleaning is any cleaning process for clothing and textiles using a chemical solvent other than water. Okay. Uh, it is used to clean fabrics that are degrade in water. Yeah. Okay. Right. Oh, well, that makes sense, yeah, right? Like silk or whatever. And wool and delicate fabrics that cannot withstand the rough and tumble of a washing machine and clothes clothes dryer. Okay, so you would suggest that a bat suit could handle the rough if that if the bat suit's handling the rough and tumble of like unarmed combat, then it can handle a fucking washing machine. Yeah, but you don't want it to shrink either. Do or you? fade. Right. Like, oh yeah. Imagine know, he's they, going out there in like a like a grey bat suit. Yeah. Well, maybe that's why oh, they hey, went who to are the grey man? <laughs> yeah. Or it just got like just got patches, just faded patches all over it because he left it in the sun. Yeah, or, yeah, or he put it in with some colours. <laughs> <laughs> there was like one red sock, one brand new Robin! red sock in there. <laughs> Wash your clothes at your own goddamn place. All right, it's the back cave, not a laundromat. Ah, uh, and you know the worst thing is too that basic black does show cat hair really, uh, really yeah, badly yeah, too. Yeah. So that's going to be tough. Um. Uh, unlike what the name implies, dry cleaning is not a dry process. Oh, here we, there go. we go. Now we're getting deep on dry cleaning. Uh, clothes are soaked in a solvent other than water. Tetrachloroethylene. Tetrachloroethylene. Yeah. Uh, which the industry calls perk. Ooh. Yeah, fair enough. It's easier. It's sounding more and more like a drug front. Doesn't it? It's not dry at all. Yeah. you got to get the perk. Yeah, man. I, I need some perk, man. Can you help perk. me have some perk? I'm good for it. i got to stay in on my suit. I need some perk, man. And it is the most widely used solvent. Okay, so perks. you got to get some perks. Uh, alternative solvents. Okay, yeah, okay, blah, blah, blah. So uh, I guess my question is, so it's a liquid. It's a chemical liquid. Yeah. Is it still sloshed around? Is it applied in the same way? Does well, it- this is what I'd like to know. I want to know how it actually works. Are you on the Wikipedia page? Yeah, for dry cleaning? A uh, process. Here we yeah, go. Okay, yeah. Uh, a dry cleaning machine. Oh, so it's a machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, is similar to a combination of a domestic washing machine and a clothes dryer. Okay, all in one. Okay, well, that so far that doesn't give us much information. I've stayed in like you know, service departments that have a washing machine that turns into a dryer, yeah. and they're the worst. Uh, garments <laughs> are placed in the washing or extraction chamber, are yes. uh, referred to as the basket or drum, which constitutes the core of the machine. Okay, yep, yeah, sure. 
The washing chamber contains a horizontal perforated drum mm. that rotates within an outer shell. Okay, they're giving yeah, us, a, they're giving us a little bit too much yeah, information yeah. here, mate. Uh, somebody's been asked how dry cleaning works and has really lent into it. Um, all right, okay. During the wash cycle, the chamber is filled approximately one third full of solvent okay. and begins to rotate, <laughs> agitating the clothing. The solvent temperature is maintained at 30 degrees Celsius mm-hmm. uh, as a higher temperature may damage it. During the wash cycle, the solvent in the chamber, commonly known as the cage or tackle box, bullshit, in the tackle box, uh, is passed through the filtration, filtration chamber and fed back into the cage. This is known as a cycle and continued for the wash duration. Right. So they, 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 the, so the solvent sucks out the gunk. It gets yep. passed through the filter. The filter traps the gunk and then the chemicals come through for a second right. go. The solvent's then removed and sent to a distillation unit. Where it's um, turned into ice. Where it's turned into ice, yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, there you go. Um, not all stains can be removed by dry cleaning. So yeah, yeah. this is... Last story of my life. Well, this is... <laughs> the Charlie Clausen story. <laughs> oh, you seem to have spit a lot of toothpaste on your pants. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know how that got there. Just love brushing my teeth. Okay, so this is what Batman needs to know, though, or Alfred needs to know who is, whoever's doing the laundry because not all stains. So... Um, not all stains hashtag not all hashtag not all stains <laughs> um, alright uh, what, what's what doesn't say though oh god don't don't tell me that some not all stains ca- can, can be removed and then not explain what stains can't be um, I guess it would depend on though they couldn't they couldn't specify because it depend on the material and the stain I'm sure it's oh, a combination right no that's actually a good point. but I, nothing would stain a bat suit um, who washes <laughs> The bat suit. Yeah. Surely there's some information on this, right? Who want, washes the bat suit? Uh, forum, <laughs> of course. Forum, how does Batman wash his outfit? There you go. Beautiful. Thank you very much. Um, all right. I mean, I think the thing, though, with this is, are we talking... Because in the comic book, it's a cloth suit. Like, you know, it's like J- Jimmy Jams he, sl- he slides on. So you could just throw that in the wash. Oh, yeah, that's fine. I mean, he could be wearing that to bed yeah. in case there's an emergency in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, If Alf- everyone seems to be agreeing that Alfred is the person who's responsible for the bat suit maintenance. Yeah. How does Alfred have time for butlering? Because if he's doing... Stuff. Like, all the things that we assign to Alfred, all the things that we're constantly like, yeah, so oh, Alfred he, does that. He does field dressings. Yep. He does communications. He runs drones. He sort of monitors the Batcave or Batman's on a mission. Keeps the computers up to date. Up to date. is oh, I'm constantly clicking updates. Right, constantly. <laughs> like, and often for times where, like, Bruce isn't getting involved for, like, seven years. Yeah. But Alfred's still out down there installing the latest update of Adobe just in case of emergency, right? He's overqualified. I know we've talked about this before, but he's overqualified to be a butler. Yeah, but he's not... I think the butler's just his cover, right? What he really is, is... is Would you say he's a mentor? No, he's the... If you are... If you... If you... If if someone becomes your ward, what are you to them? He's basically their guard. He's a guardian. He's a guardian. What's he getting paid? Is he getting paid butler wages or is he getting paid... I reckon he gets butler wages but with some table perks. You yeah. know what I mean? He would probably have stock in Wayne and Wayne Enterprises and, and stuff like that. I think the weird thing is how do you... If you are a child who has grown up with this butler who decides to go on this mission of vengeance, how do you talk him into... Like, how did the first conversation go where Bruce was like, hey, I'm thinking of doing this thing. Um, I'm not sure... 
if you're interested, but um, I'm going to uh, avenge my parents' death by dressing up like a bat and going out into the night and beating up on criminals. What I really need is someone who can fix my, you know, give me uh, wound, uh, field dressings if I get injured, um, knows how to operate the computer, can, you know, do some surveillance for me. Uh. Basically, what I'm saying is uh, I've got an idea for a plan where I get all the glory, but you do all the work. <laughs> yeah. You? I know for years it's just been making toast and stuff. But I've got a I've got a new direction. By the way, you're in your seventies. Would you like to get involved well, in a life threatening? I mission? think they retconned his backstory. Yeah, where he, he was. was like, yeah, special, yeah, ex special forces. Ex special forces. Like that's why. Yeah, he's he's like the Jason Statham. In fact, that's who should be Alfred, not Jeremy Irons. Can you imagine Jason Statham as like a grumpy, crotchety Cockney Alfred? I absolutely. <laughs> yeah, can. that'd be awesome. Fantastic. Well, like, maybe you could do a... Wash like, your own fucking Batmobile. Well, how about a spin-off, though, about yeah. Alfred's kind of earlier years? Like, you know, m maybe when young Bruce is away. That would be underway, 100%, I guarantee. Haven't they done that on Gotham or something? That sounds like something that would have been done already. Oh, but that could be a movie, right? The early Jason Statham is Alfred. But isn't it the same fuck... Yeah, it could be a movie, but do you just completely separate it from the Batman universe? Or do you just have a shot at the end where he returns home and has to pick up young Bruce from school or something. Yeah, no, I, you could set it like in that time that um, Bruce is away. Yeah. But don't you have the problem? I mean, who is got, do you, what I'm saying is why don't you just make a completely new property? Like if you're only going to reference okay, sure. that this guy goes to be Bruce Wayne, but couldn't you just do the same story about like a, a guy who was a fucking special forces killer who then became a butler and not actually attached to the Batman universe. Cause that seems to me to be ripe with possibilities. I mean, yeah, but I also like the idea that it's also Alfred. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. This guy who's like, yeah, I'm in the special forces, but you know what my real passion is? Which way you lay out the cutlery. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, do you watch Gotham? Have you watched any uh, Gotham? You know what? Uh, this is interesting because I have said in the past that it's very hard for me to stop watching TV shows. Like, once I start it, we call it the Smallville Rule. Yeah. Ten seasons. We call it OCD. Oh, I think we also said last episode we were both going to bring five DVDs. Remember? Oh, <laughs> shit. I completely forgot about that. The only, Next week. Only reason I was reminded of that was, like, that we literally started talking about Smallville again. <laughs> Can someone please remind us next Wednesday that we have yeah. to bring in DVDs? Yeah, remind us we're going to do a DVD thing. Yeah. It won't be as hard for me because all my DVDs are just there. Yeah. But I might find some that are actually in the boxes. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, I watched the first couple of series and I heard it has got better, but no, I, I eventually I just was like, I, look, eventually I made a choice. I was like, which of these two shows that aren't wholly satisfying me am I going to continue with it? It was mm. going to be Gotham or Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and I decided to go with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I've heard Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has gotten better. Actually. I believe it has. Yeah. I don't know if I've got Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like right. I've watched it long enough now that I'm, no, this is good. But don't, don't you think there is an inherent problem when you are doing a prequel or a backstory? We've talked about this before, but like, when you explain away the magic or the enigma of, you know, that character or that universe that we like, then who wants a, who wants everything explained to them? Like that's, that's not what storytelling should either lead you to a conclusion or leave you asking a question, not explain everything to the point where there's no mystery left. Yeah. But I, I think with Alfred, like it's not, like, it's not like you're suddenly going to go, oh, this is how it all, like, you know, the whole mystery was solved. Well, I guess it works Because he's, a, like, a side character yeah. anyway. Yeah. So you're fleshing out this whole thing where you can tell as many new stories as you really want because no one 
Which is kind of what they're doing with Star Wars now, I guess, is, you know, they're delving into characters who are peripherally associated with the story that everyone knows. But I didn't enjoy Rogue One. Like, I know some people think it was one of the better ones, but it all just felt, I just, I, I think that, when was the last time you saw an original film? Like a film that was not based off a pre-existing property or, you know, a, a prequel or a remake or whatever. I mean, I, I've watched a few. I mean, I, I watched a few this year. Well, there's, I saw Get Out this year. Yep. That was completely new. John Wick is completely original. I'm talking about genre films, obviously. Yeah. But then when you look at what's coming up or what's planned, all these sequels and reboots, I'm like, these are all great stories that could be told independently and you could be kickstarting like a dozen other kind of universes. There is, I guess, that paranoia of will people come opening weekend if they don't immediately recognize the name. But even like this Baywatch remake that they've done, I was like, couldn't you have just done like a sexy adult comedy about a bunch of lifeguards and, and not called it Baywatch? Like there's are people really going to go, oh yeah, I want to see my two loves like The Rock and Baywatch together for the first time. Like The Rock's a pretty big movie star. I reckon you could just do something completely aside from that and it may give you more freedom to do more interesting things. You're not beholden to kind of like nodding to the audience and referencing, I mean, I assume there's a David Hasselhoff joke or maybe he makes a cameo or something in Baywatch. I don't know. Have you heard anything about that? I think that? he's on the ground eating at a burger. <laughs> it's a really funny bit. Um, I auditioned. Well, I didn't audition for it. That's right. They sent me the script yeah. uh, and asked if I wanted to audition As for it. As an Australian? It. Uh, not, uh, you know what? I, I think I said no so quickly. Like I read a bit of it, but I can't even remember if it was an Australian character or not. Yeah. Either way, it was not something that I was going to do. Hey, did you actually, do we get back to Tom Cruise? What was his big announcement? Oh, okay. So we can get back, <laughs> we can get back to that. Yeah. Um, so Tom Cruise, uh, announced, and we didn't talk about the dark universe. We really yeah, went right. on a, yeah, we went on a, a big dry cleaning journey <laughs> to the dry cleaners. So firstly, well, let's talk about the, uh, the dark universe, seeing that we promised we'd yes. do that, and then we'll get to his massive revelation. Okay, all right. Well, yeah, so I went and saw The Mummy uh, a couple of days ago, and it starts as actually like a logo. This is how seriously Universal are taking it. There's like the dark, and it's basically an inversion of the Universal logo. So, you know, the spinning earth. It's a, like a dark planet and dark universe. But when you see the film... The logo was actually designed for them by Lex Luthor. When he was designing all the logos for yeah. the superheroes in the last Superman yeah, right. film, it uh, yeah, it's so clearly set up to be they're turning these characters. I mean, I'd heard that this is what they're doing; they're bringing the monsters together, and I was like, okay, cool. So it's going to be a bunch of like you know reboots of old horror films. That could be interesting, but they've they're superheroed it up a bit. They're, they're taking these characters, they're suicide squatting it. They're taking these bad guys and turning them to superheroes, and it's just one of these things of I don't know that. The Mummy or the Invisible Man and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde count as superheroes. Like, I think we're, or at least the superhero treatment. I mean, maybe comic book characters, you could say, but, you know, they don't, just because they all have superpowers doesn't make them superheroes. I don't think you can graft that formula onto traditional villains. Yeah, so in this, okay, so you've seen The Mummy and yeah. spoilers not or whatever. Yet, so yeah, no, spoil don't it. spoil it, but what's the, what's the kind of it. gist? Like, as in, like, what's the superhero well, they're trying to create out of the mummy? Because it's not the mummy, right? Well, I, that's... I mean, it can't be like, no one's going, hey, you know what we need for our superhero gang? The mummy. I think... I mean, how do I do this without giving away spoilers? The one thing I can say is it's similar to the uh, um, the original 
uh, Mummy remakes, the ones with um, Brendan Fraser. So Tom Cruise is the Brendan Fraser. But not Fraser. the third one with The Rock. Not the third one with The Rock, no. But there are some similarities. He's like a roguish adventurer. Um, it's not set in, because I think those original ones were set in the 30s or something. It's present day. And he works for the army, you know, he's like an Indiana Jones kind of, I don't know what he does. He, he saves relics from, from, from cities that are in war zones or something like that. Um, but then it sort of jumps into kind of more traditional sort of horror film because they find this mummy and the curse starts and then everywhere he goes, trouble seems to follow and stuff. Now, the way they set it up to be a superhero guy, I'm going to have to spoil it. So, Okay, if you're really desperate about... If you're about, dying to see... Yeah, the yeah, mummy. Yeah. So at the end, he you know, has this battle with the mummy and he defeats the mummy, but in that process, he absorbs some mummy mojo right so the so you see him finish the film as a super sort of supercharged tom right. cruise so what i'm thinking is it's going to be like a hulk like power sure or it'll he'll be, be like able to a, mummy up yeah it's not the case that he'll suddenly be wrapped in bandages and walking really slowly right. but i think because in this His film, catchphrase will be i need my mummy <laughs> <laughs> shane mumford comes <laughs> no the 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 mummy in this film has power like she's got sort of like you know, psychic abilities. She can control minds. She okay. can make giant sandstorms seems to be a big thing she likes to do. Okay, so she's got, she, yeah, the power to like control the elements. Well, her backstory is that she was like a, a princess in Egypt who made a deal with the devil for blah, 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 blah. And then she was killed and sealed in that um, a sarcophagus before she could wreak her evil. Oh, right, so, so she then, wanted to wreak evil, though. So she made well, the, 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 the demon, devil. the demon within her. She was a she was a vessel for the evil. Okay. So now Tom, I believe, has the devil, but for some reason it's under control. I don't know. Okay, interesting. No, yeah. That's all right. I can understand like Tom Cruise with mummy powers. That might be a way that you could. Does that make sense though? Like, because that's not really. Again, it comes back to my point of, like, just make a film about an adventurer who you know battles some person with an ancient curse, and then he gets given that curse. Because when you think of the mummy, you think very specifically wrapped in bandages, walking slow. You know, like that's that's kind of what that story is. Just because you have those properties, you know, doesn't mean you need to like crowbar them into this superhero. Charlie, universe. why are you trying to use like seriously? Why are you trying to buy new food when we've got all these leftovers <laughs> that true. we can just make into waste. something? It's waste. It's waste. We already own the mummy. It reminded me a little bit in tone of like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, right? Which it's is terrible. kind of a similar, but that's a similar <laughs> idea, right? All these yeah. Victorian kind yeah. of folk heroes. One of those things villains. That, in some ways, one of those things that can work really well as like a comic book. But sometimes, sometimes when you try to translate onto that, onto the big screen, you lose some of the sort of liter literary yeah. references and, and that vibe of it. That Well, it's and especially when it comes from Alan Moore, who's like known for being so meticulous in like the way he creates a frame, the dialogue he uses, you know, the references he's making to then supercharge it with a Michael Bay-esque kind of vibe. And, you know, all of a sudden Tom Sawyer's in it and he's fucking a gunslinger or whatever the fuck. Was it Tom or Huckleberry Finn, one of those two? You remember that? Like, he's not even in the comic books. It's like, we need to make an... Amer American audiences aren't going to like these lame-ass, like, <laughs> European folk heroes. We need to get, like, an American in there as a gunslinger. It's like, was Huckleberry Finn a gunslinger? I don't think he was. Tom Sawyer, did he even touch a gun? That seems odd. <laughs> don't you think? Yeah. I mean, the, 
I guess the idea of like reinventing something and giving it a new spin. Mm. And there's things you can play off. Is there any mummy, like, is there any like in jokes on the idea? Does like Tom Cruise ever have to wrap his head in bandages or something like that? I mean, that would be a good play for the second one where he's in some sort of accident and he actually has to be in bandages or something like that. There is like quite that, a right? bit of humor in it. They, cause the funny thing was, because Tom Cruise and Russell Crowe and the director were all there and they sort of came out and they all. The way they were selling the film was like, oh, it's going to scare the shit out of you. And I was like, okay, okay, cool. We're seeing a reboot of The Mummy and they're going to, you know, make it a horror film. But then it played out like a Marvel movie where, you know, there's some kind of like, they're trying to give you some jump scares, but it's definitely not a horror film. So I feel like it's got its ass between two chairs. You know what I mean? It's that thing of, this is an action adventure and they have heaps of kind of like comedy, like Tom Cruise does quite a bit of you know, winks to the camera. It's very sort of self-aware that this is all like, you know, bizarre, ridiculous things that are happening now. There's, you know what it reminded me of? American Werewolf in London. Okay. Because again, spoilers, two seconds to turn off. For American Werewolf in London. No, for, <laughs> for the mummy. But his best friend dies. Right. And then appears as a phantom who sort of guides him. Oh, okay. Like a ghoulish looking phantom. And so there's always these jokes about how scary he looks. Ooh, I'm exposition man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You superhero. Oh my God, let's franchise it. <laughs> I'm here to explain <laughs> some plot holes. Yeah, it was just a, it was just a, it was just a weird. I film. want to know more about the Russell Crowe and these guys being. T- talk me so through Russell's the. So Russell's. How does this? No, talk me a bit through right. the night. What was the night you went to? So when the, you saw it. It was the and, opening. This the Sydney opening. And so, how does that work? Uh, Do they like, as in, you, are you in a cinema where they make some speeches yeah, or something? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so they have like the whole red carpet kind of do. Okay, and so this everyone a, walks down the red carpet, and this was a and this was a fairly like a big event. Like they shut down Market Street, the State Theatre and stuff, and Dickie Wilkins was there. I mean, they've literally shut interviews. down Market Street, I think, to put in a light rail for the next six years. But sure, <laughs> yeah. they also shut down Market Street in the centre of Sydney. Um, the Sydney city came to a halt. It felt like it. There's quite a few people. Like how many in the crowd? Do you reckon? A few thousand, I'd okay. say. Like the entire... So the opposite side to the State Theatre, that was covered in people had barricades up and stuff. And because Tom and, and Russell and the um, other two girls in the film did a fair bit of... Went out to the crowd and took photos and signed autographs. Okay. And, so then when you go into the cinema... So, I mean, Tom Cruise... Like, Tom Cruise is a big movie star still, right? Yeah. Um, having him in Sydney is still a big, a big deal, deal right? yeah. like it's still a big deal it's still exciting for people to see like Tom Cruise yeah. on the streets of Sydney yeah I mean Russell he just probably just rode his bike down from his house it looked like it <laughs> oh, did it because <laughs> it is only about 10 minutes from where he lives or yeah, something totally. so he just came from the uh, the studio with Merrick right <laughs> <laughs> just for a short Uber ride five minutes up the road um, but no so, so it's a fairly big do in terms of like you know they had drinks and and there was like food there and stuff there's a weird thing when you got to your seats what do you get drinks and food movie drinks and food or other sort of drinks like booze like there was they had a full bar there so whatever you could get at that cinema so beer and wine and champagne and stuff like that is that uh is there always an open bar for those sort of things no or is that sort of like enjoy the film yeah (laughs) make sure you enjoy yeah make sure you have a couple of tequilas on the way in well yeah i think don't worry if you need to go to the toilet there is there'll be a ghost that explains everything you missed in my experience going to a few of these things the rule of thumb tends to be the bigger the production the dodgier the quality of the film. Let me just right. say that the last film I saw at the State Theatre at a big event do like this was Zoolander 2. Okay. So I get the feeling that the studio is like, oh, we need to get a good opening weekend. Yeah, you got to get everyone in before they hear about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
so then when you sit down in the seats, that you're looking at the movie screen, and they this is weird. They had like a live feed going because it was like a live TV production going on outside the studio. So the right. live feed going to the cinema with Dickie Wilkins and Sonia Kruger interviewing people as they came down the red carpet. Um, Richard Wilkins was like, you know, who are you wearing? And Sonia Kruger was like, do you think Muslims should stay out of Australia? <laughs> but there was this, uh, like, so they split the screen into four. So Dickie on one side, then you had like a tweet window. So people would tweet, hey, I'm at the Mummy premiere. And then there was this sort of bird's eye view of the photo wall. So, you know, as kind of people come in, they go against the wall and they, you know, the press gallery takes like a bunch of photos. Okay. But... I went down that wall and didn't realize there was a camera there. Like you're facing a bunch of cameras, but there's the, it, I don't, I'm not particularly good at having my photo taken. I never know where to put my hands. I never know whether I should smile or not. And you always feel very awkward. And the good thing is once I sat down at the cinema and watched the screen, I realized, oh, everyone fucking hates doing this. Yeah. Everyone's really awkward because you would see people come in and get not know where to put their arms, get shuffled. You just say occasionally see a publicist come up and move someone on because Russell needs to step into the frame and stuff. Like that was that was really good entertainment. I was really gripped by that. That's why Russell's always giving people the finger. He's yeah, actually right. a really friendly guy. He just doesn't know what to do with his hands in photo situations. <laughs> <laughs> Once threw a phone at a guy just because the phone was in his hand and he panicked. <laughs> someone took his photo. So then before the movie starts, the um, uh, Sonia and, and Dickie come out and they. You know, talk about how great the film is, how scared they were when they saw it. Mm -hmm. And then um, they bring out... And, it, and look, they are, you know, this generation's David and Margaret. So if Richard Wilkins and Sonia Kruger tell you something that they're being paid to promote is good, then you believe it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then the director comes out with the cast. So it was Tom and uh, Rusty. Um, the girl, I believe her name's Sophie. She's the chick from Kingsman with the razor blade legs. Okay, sure. You know what I'm talking about? No. Okay. Have you seen Star Trek in the Beyond, the new one? No. Okay, she's in that. And then some uh, actress I've, I haven't heard of before, some English lady. Uh, and so they do, you know, Richard Wilkins, skilled interviewer. So they, uh, you know. So what, what sort of questions? Can you remember anything that Richard asked them? Like, because what sort of stuff are the easy dishing out? Was it fun to make the movie? Russell had well, you worked with Tom before. Well, there were the one like, the one thing I can remember was. Did you like the original films? Is there any of that sort of stuff? Or? Yeah, there was. It was a lot of. It was just a, a bit more. Who about, washes Batman suits? Hey, Tom and Rusty, you guys have been mates for ages. What took so long for you guys? For you guys to work together. Work together. Yeah. Um, for the girls, you know, what was it like? You know, uh, you're working with two legends, and you know they were very happy to be working with two legends. Uh, and then the director, it was only his second film. And so he's, uh, one of them said, so, you know, what was it like? You know, your second film, big budget, big stars. And he was like, oh, yeah, you know, I was sort of terrified um, at first, but then I met them and they're just such professionals, blah, blah, blah. Then Tom and Russell, like, go on this. They, I, they're trying to be complimentary, but just through raising it, it makes you go, oh, geez, this must have been a tough shoot for this guy because Tom was like, every day I'd say to him, man, you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. Wow. Yeah, I'm really impressed. You're doing a great job. Which suggests that Tom thought maybe this guy wasn't going to be up to it. Feels like a bit too much. Yeah. And then Rusty says um, something along the lines of, because uh, Richard said it must have been the thrill of the, li uh, thrill of the lifetime. And the director's gone, yeah, it was. And then Rusty's gone, yeah, but he was terrified. <laughs> it's like, oh, Jesus. Like, the guy's here. He made the film. Uh, yeah, so they kept them on stage for about five minutes. They uh, they have a good time. Tom Cruise is like, I can see, I've never seen him in person before. I've uh -huh. never, I can sort of on one hand see why he's a movie star because yep. he is just very charismatic. Like yeah. he just looks and He's got that aura. Like a movie star. Yeah. But he smiles too much. 
Like there's something about that smile. You've heard that, you know, uh, Christian Bale, when he was doing research for Patrick Bateman in American Psycho, watched a lot of Tom Cruise interviews because he said there's something about someone who's that positive and happy all the time. You can't buy it. And I got that as well. It's like, He's probably so big a star that this is has nothing to do with... I'm not suggesting it's like Scientology or anything else. I think this is a guy who gets recognized wherever he goes. And so he has this mode of operation, which is this is how I diffuse and disengage any situation so that I don't get cornered or asked weird questions. Or but also like the other thing is that he's like Coke. Do you know what I mean? Like his whole... As a collar? Like, yeah, a collar. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Like his whole appeal was... He was never the greatest actor in the world. He's a fine actor. Mm. But he was just consistently good. And clearly he was just happy and people liked him and he was handsome. You never hear bad stories he didn't stories have weird hair or didn't do any sort of like... Working with Tom Cruise, do you? Like no, no one complains about him being late or being like... No, super all the professional. Does is, his own stunts, yeah. all that sort of stuff. To this day, yeah. you know, not really phoning anything in. He still fucking does his own stunts. He does a bunch yeah. of his own stunts in this film. It's like... You don't have to, man. Don't worry about it. But this is the thing. This is what he brings to the table is I imagine that sort of relentless energy. He's got that Anthony Robbins or, uh, you know, uh, Ryan Seacrest is another example of someone who with no real discernible talent, although not without talent, like Mm. he clearly has talents, but it's more just a force of nature. Yeah. Like someone who was just so... Yeah, you knew from early on, you were like, oh yeah, Ryan Seacrest is just going to be around forever. He just has that like sheer force of will. And like... Tom Cruise is that as well. Yeah, I think for Tom Cruise, he got a, he got a, to be a better actor though. Like I think. Oh was, no, no, and I'm not saying he's not a. And I think Ryan Seacrest is a decent enough host of things as well, which yeah. is a hard skill to do. Yeah, but there's there's a kind of you know I'm I'm white bread. I'm Coca-Cola, you know, what people like about me is that I deliver them. I'm not necessarily, you know, the the most healthy thing or the most like Mm. progressive or new thing, but they know what they're going to get. I'm McDonald's, you know. You should say that. I remember years ago when Interview with a Vampire came out and that was like, he was a controversial choice to play Lestat because, you know, he was the biggest Coca-Cola white bread movie star in the world and he'd been hired to play this like, you know. Cult vampire. Yeah, vampire, you know. Gothic sort of, yeah. you know, underground character. Yeah. Beloved by people who probably didn't love Tom Cruise. Exactly, 100%. And I remember watching TV, He they did a big special on Oprah where they did a screening of the film with him and then he and Brad Pitt came out and took questions from the audience. And he still had the Lestat hair, like obviously he hadn't had time to cut it since he'd finished shooting. So he had the, like the Lon Blanc ponytail and stuff. And all the questions out of the crowd, it was really interesting, were people who were upset about how violent it was, how it was kind of like thinly veiled homosexuality going on, how, you know, what is the message? Like, Tom, we we know you for being maverick and we know you for being like the color of money and stuff. Like, we don't like this kind of sexually ambiguous, violent, child abusing. He's new Coke. Yeah. You know, he's vanilla Coke. They're like, no, 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 we just wanted Coke. But it's the only time I remember seeing Tom Cruise like not smiling. He actually seemed on the back foot from it. I don't yeah. think he was expecting to get that reaction. He was trying to justify a lot that, well, it's a fucking vampire film. So there's going to be a fair bit of blood and sexual ambiguity and blah, blah, blah. But his core demographic and they're mainly middle-aged women were just like, no, this, we, we don't like this. We want other Tom Cruise back. Can we have him please? We don't like blonde. I think Tom Cruise, and this is one thing that you can actually, like, I mean, take aside his, you know, personal life and his religious stuff and all that sort of, you know, assorted, you know. uh, Did you say assorted or assorted? 
Well, probably assorted. <laughs> I've made up a new word, but it's probably very apl- applicable. Um, all that sort of stuff. But take that up. Just, let's just look at Tom Cruise, the actor and movie star, right? Mm. He probably could have made even more money than he's made by just being coke. Yeah. You know, he would have been offered a million roles and he would have just been coke in all of them. But he was the one who was pushing to, you know, do, do Born on the Fourth of July or to do, you know, the vampire movie or to do these sort of things. Like he's tried, I think, over his career. Yeah. And I think often the audience have been like, nah, drive a racing car or something. Yeah. Drive, like, fly a plane and be really good at that. Well, he's getting to a point too in his career. I mean, the other thing about him is he looks. Amazing. Like, he must be in his 50s, right? Yeah. I think he's had just the right amount of work at just the right times. And he's super fit, too. Super He's fit. got a bit of super fit face. Yeah. You know, like, uh, so when, it, as in, like, no, a combination of, I yeah. mean, obviously. <laughs> super fitted face. Yeah. But both. Like, his yeah. face has got that shape Someone, who doesn't, someone dr- who doesn't drink alcohol. Yeah. Like, clearly <laughs> does not have that hanging sallow skin. He doesn't have the puffy grey face of the people I surround myself with. And when I say surround myself with, I mean I see when I look in the mirror. But for so long he was, you know, like he was your go-to action slash drama guy. Yeah. You know, treaded those two worlds completely. But he's getting to a point now where, it's not that he's looking his age, but I did go, ah, this is not the same Tom Cruise that we saw. Like he may... I don't know how... I mean, I'm sure they're making another Mission Impossible and stuff, and if they do this Dark Universe thing, if it does well. But I'm just like, oh, he's at that tipping point now. Like, Val Kilmer can't play those roles anymore. Like, John Travolta stopped being able to play those roles about 15 years ago. There does come a point where you've got to stop, you know, chasing people around with guns and stuff. Well, Charlie, you have brought us to a very interesting point in the podcast with what you've just said. So let's just have a little pause and a break. Okay. And we will come back after this. With the bombshell. Okay. Bombshell. Mike Hall, I'm sure you can do something with that. Put some echo on it or something. So, Tom Cruise, uh, once you know the highest paid actor and highest earning actor in all of Hollywood, decided to drop a bombshell on the Sunrise program this morning. This is fresh news that yeah, you right. are not even aware of. No. That he is going to make a sequel to one of his classic films. Top Gun. Top Gun 2. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't hear the announcement, but I saw something else about their eyeing directors or whatever. Right. Which, all right, this is the way to do it. Maverick is now like, he's like a general or something. Yeah, he's Tom Skerritt. And a young, cocky... Clint Eastwood's son. What's his name? Scott Eastwood. Perfect. Oh, you know, I've got it done. Don't worry. <laughs> Tom, give me a call. He comes in. He's cocky. He's got father issues. Tom recognizes he had father issues. Scott Eastwood lost his dad, you know, in Iraq or something like that. And he's, you know, he's got all the talent in the world. What a great companion piece to another film where he has mummy issues. <laughs> so it's his mummy issues and daddy issues. So he it. said it's legit green light. It's happening. Going. Wow. It's happening and Val Kimmer's going to be involved. Oh yeah! I'm suddenly very interested. Right? I hope it's that, but I hope it's like Val, I hope it's set, not uh, not yeah. Iceman. I hope it's Val Kilmer and not Iceman. Like, forget whatever character traits they established in the first Top Gun. Can we just have wacky, Twitter addicted Val Kilmer in this version? Well, isn't he's he- got his cravat. You know, he's doing his paintings on the side. Do you follow Val Kilmer on Twitter? Yeah, he's amazing. Amazing, and he's, and he's not well, right? He's got. Some, I think he's got some illness, right? Yeah. 
Uh, let's have a look. We'll look up Val Kilmer. But... Are you not? Are you sure you're not thinking about Doc Holliday and Tombstone? Because he was just yeah. He's there. got. <laughs> he's got. Army whatever Huckleberry. He had. What did he have? In... <laughs> cancer. Val Kilmer. Cancer comes up when Fuck. I Google here. So uh, Batman actor Val Kilmer. <laughs> well, well, I mean, he's done other stuff. He's done plenty of other stuff. Uh, Batman actor not, Val not Kilmer. hates Val Kilmer. Uh, tells Reddit Q and A. Not had... real geniuses. Val Kilmer. He had cancer. He had cancer. Okay. okay. Um, says he's healing. All right, here we go. Uh, Val Kilmer has finally confirmed numerous reports uh, that he was battling cancer during a, a recent AMA on Reddit. Mm. Uh, the actor had never acknowledged the rumours as legitimate, but now confirms he has had a healing of cancer. Does that sound like he didn't go to a doctor? I mean, it does sound a little... Well, he probably cured it with paintings and cravats. <laughs> <laughs> Did they say anything about Val Kilmer coming back? Uh, okay, hang on. Uh, Anthony Edwards can't come back. Well, no. Unless Goose actually survived. Well, what a great plot point. Yeah. It turns out that Goose didn't die in that accident. Yeah. He actually survived the crash, but for 30 years, he's been like living like, well, like, um, well, you like the ca- Winter Soldier. But yeah. Hydra style. It's and got- he's turned into an enemy and he comes back to fight. Yeah. And the only person who can take down like Goose. The Goose. Is Maverick with his Maverick recklessness. Back, back into the Reckless plane. Maverick who won't pull out of that chase. And the great thing is that Maverick, like in the you know, 30 years that he's been in, like in teaching, that reckless nature of his that everybody has always heard about, that's not really in him anymore. We we open on a Maverick who's now the most concerned. He's driving and he's driving on his way to work and he's driving really slowly and really carefully and he's not taking any risks. There's people in traffic around him getting angry at me because he's too meticulous. He's too careful. He's taken all the risk out of his life. Life. But then, when the evil goose arises, he finds the out. Evil goose. The goose. That's the that's the colon. Top yeah. Gun two colon the evil, evil goose, goose arises. <laughs> so evil goose comes back. Yeah, I like it. Disfigured, lost his memory. Of course. Okay. In so the remember, in the first film, we actually see the funeral. Meg yeah. Ryan's crying. Yeah, but they, we don't. We never know if they buried it. Actually, no, no. Okay. So that's one you, of the scenes. You, in, so, right. One of the scenes in the film is where Maverick goes to Goose's grave and digs it up. That's a powerful scene, so, right? And then you discover that need, there's actually right. nothing in there. So we need a flashback scene. They'll use some de-aging Michael Douglas Ant-Man technology. And so what's happened is that he gets... They, they pull him out of the water. He gets taken into the kind of, you know, morgue or whatever. He... But then he wakes up and he's in a lab. Yeah, one and of those a, classic. <gasps> yeah, 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 yeah. And it's a bu- and it's a bunch of kind of like doctors, and they say they're working on the shadow program. Yeah, but it's the enemy, right? Who it's whoever they were fighting. No, in the well, but no, but he, no, he would have been pulled out of the water because they because Maverick would have radioed in that it had been shot down, so they yeah. would have pulled him out of the water. So the intercept. Where's no, the but intercept I reckon there was happen? like a Russian sub going by or something like that. But, and they've picked him up. But Mav, but Mav's holding on to him the whole time. Like, what happened? How do they get separated? All of a sudden, <gasps> he just slips from under his arm. Yeah, I think so. He's like, oh, well. <laughs> Mav's like, shark. Guess that was a shark. Well, there's a scene we haven't seen because obviously Mavericks had to be like, you know, in some way. Well, explain. Uh, my what. memory is maybe that- Maverick passes out. Maybe there's a scene just yeah, there where okay. Maverick passes out. You can do that with a de-aging technology. Right. Is that Maverick, he swallowed too much salt yeah. water. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he passed out. And when he woke up, he was just holding an empty jacket. Right. He doesn't know what happened. That's good. Yeah. We don't know what happened yeah, to him. Yeah, we actually see what really happened. He thinks that he was holding Goose, but it turns out yeah. he was holding this. And that's and Mav, apart from that final mission in Top Gun, yeah. after that, Mav never flew never again. Never flew again. Went because he was so traumatized yeah. about killing his partner. Yeah. 
Yeah, perfect. Yeah, he had PTSD. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and we can deal with that, right? He's That's why he's smiling all the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, he's ironically, he doesn't even go by Maverick anymore. He yeah. goes by his name. He doesn't like when people call When anyone sees him, hasn't seen him for a while and tries to call him Maverick, he's like, yeah. I'm not Maverick anymore. Yeah, that's you know? right. Don't call me that. Don't call he me doesn't that. Have, well, what's Maverick's surname? Or is Maverick his surname? Is Maverick his actual name? No, Maverick's his nickname. That's it's his, his Top call Gun sign. nickname, like Iceman or call, whatever. Call sign. Yeah, okay. So what's I'm going to have to look name? up the original Top Gun and see. You know what they out. have to have in this sequel too? Is you know that fantastic homoerotic volleyball scene where they're all like slapping bums and high-fiving in slow motion oiled up? Reenact it, but with all the actors they age they are now. So get a kind of hefty Val Kilmer in there. Like, well, that'd be a great, like, kind of extra scene on the beach. Yeah. Like, they're going by on a beach and yeah. you just see all these old men yeah. playing beach volleyball, slapping each other's but, bums. But and then you realize it's the actual guys <laughs> from the original one. That'd be a nice little nod, a nice yeah. little wink. Um, all right, let's uh, have a look at the, the plot of Top Gun and just see if we can find out. Here we go United States a Naval Aviator, Lieutenant Pete. Maverick Mitchell. So now Pete he's in, Mitchell. Yeah, as in Channel Seven newsreader. Yeah, Peter Mitchell. Peter Mitchell, named after the Channel Seven newsreader. Uh, yeah, Lieutenant Lieutenant Pete Mitchell. So he's now going by Peter Mitchell, and he's like a whatever. He's the higher rank Sergeant Mitchell. Yeah, uh, and his radar intercept officer LTG LTJG Nick Goose Bradshaw. What is so, LTDJ? Lieutenant something, oh, right, I right, imagine. Right. Yeah. Um, What's his name? Proper name? Nick Goose Bradshaw. So Nick Bradshaw. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Okay, I like that. So Pete Mitchell and Nick Bradshaw. They really sound like 80s musicians. Yeah, don't Do you know what I mean? Are you going to see the reunion of <laughs> Pete Mitchell and Nick Bradshaw? I love those guys. They're brilliant. One was in Spando Ballet and one was in Take That, right? <laughs> they're doing a they're doing an acoustic set. Yeah. Mitchell and Bradshaw. You, yeah. go, you can't see them. No, Mitchell and Bradshaw sounds like a real estate agency. Bradshaw and Mitchell. Yeah. Um, so they're flying the Tomcat aboard the USS Enterprise. Um, Enterprise? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, they, with Maverick's wingman, Cougar, and his... Uh, Ario or Rio, I don't know. Ario Merlin. Ario Speedwagon. Intercept fictional uh, Mikoyan Gurik. Oh, sorry, I'm getting that wrong. Over the Indian Ocean. During the engagement, Maverick flies his Tomcat parallel to one of the MiGs yeah. and inverts his craft in order to give the other pilot the finger. Yeah. A feat that adds to his already wild reputation. Yeah. Okay, so in the start, when he's driving in the traffic, they give him the finger. And he won't even yeah, respond yeah, to that, yeah, right? Yeah, you yeah, play yeah. off the finger. Yeah, they, but you've got to have someone taking a Polaroid as well because I think that's what they do, right? Flip right. the bird and then take a Polaroid. Yeah, so yeah, they're yeah. in the car. One's taking yeah. a Polaroid on the, on the phone now, though, like on the modern-day phone taking a photo, and the other one's... Or do you reckon it's more that the kids who are training, whoever's at the flight academy or whatever... Yeah, but this is just the establishing scene in the opening shot. Okay. I want a sh shot that tells us immediately that Maverick Who's is now conservative. Just like some other people in traffic. Okay, so it's a coincidence. It's not like no, anyone who knows this is the whole thing. This is, gonna, right. this is a play to the original thing. It's a thematic link yeah. more than a... It's right. telling you yeah. that this ain't the Maverick that you knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so... Uh, By the way, did he get the call sign Maverick? Like, did his behavior create the call... The, is like his code name or... Or is it nominative determinism? Because is that like giving yourself a nickname where you call yourself like Ace? Right. You can't just walk in and say, hey, just call me Maverick. Well, I can't think that Goose would have assigned himself the nickname Goose. No, so shortly. he was so he was given Maverick, we assume, due to his devil-may-care yeah. attitude. Well, I imagine they don't give out the call signs on day one. Right. I imagine it's one of those things where you're there for a while, you get to know their personalities, and eventually there's probably like a call sign a day. Yeah. 
Still, even on that day, Charlie dipshit Clawson. <laughs> dipshit, you got a mick on your tail. Uh, all right, so um, we all we all know kind of the plot of uh, Top Gun. So yeah, um, I believe Comedy Company parodied this with a hilarious sketch called Top Nun. So uh, let's have a look at uh, Top Gun Two. He's got a need for speed again. That's not the real tagline. No, but okay. that's not bad. Okay. Not bad from Brody Carmody in the uh, Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, Tom Cruise has finally confirmed that a sequel to the cult action film. Cult? Cult? It's a huge hit. Mate, what's your fucking definition of cult? <laughs> you work for a Fairfax newspaper <laughs> and you're... Or is it more like, yeah, as opposed to his other cult that he's associated <laughs> with Scientology? Uh, a sequel to... Cult the- movie actor. Yeah, right. That makes sense. <laughs> um, as in, he's in a cult. Action film Top Gun is in the works. In the works, Charlie. Rumours have been swirling for years that Cruz would revisit the movie that turned him into a household name. Last year, the film's original producer, Jerry Bruckheimer, drove fans wild after tweeting a photo of himself and Cruz, hinting that they met up to discuss a Top Gun sequel. Do I have a link to that? No. No. On Tuesday morning, Cruz finally uh, confirmed that the rumours were indeed true. Speaking on Channel 7 Sunrise... The Hollywood Hearts Rob said principal photography should start within the next 12 months. Holy shit. Okay. It is true, he said. I'm going to start filming it probably in the next year. It's definitely happening. Wow. Cruz was then interrupted by Sam Mack on guitar. <laughs> and the cash cow, who asked him for some more money. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I guess, yeah. So I could po- be excited for that. Yeah. I mean, I don't because that's what they got to do, right? Because it's so long ago that they have to be grown-up characters yeah. now, I, and doesn't it have to be a twist on the original? Where, like, well, I mean, you know, I mean, we're assuming it's a sequel thirty years later. It's not like be great a, if they said it like a week later. Well, this is the, and made all the actors still play those characters. Well, it's the, it's the thing about like in, why I think the Ghostbusters film was so confusing is is this a reboot? Is this a sequel? Why are the original? Like, I I don't I I understand you can have nods and stuff. To like, okay, well, this is the original series actors or whatever, but don't confuse us. What what is this? Like, let us know. So I think if they make this a straight up thirty year sequel and not like, a, oh, this is a a modern reboot where Tom Cruise is playing a different character, don't do that. No. Oh no 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 no! Don't do that. But we don't know. Maybe they will. Oh no no! They're not going to do it. It's a sequel. They're going to make a sequel. Well, when you heard they were making a Ghostbusters film, did you think? Yeah, but it wasn't like Ghostbusters three or Ghostbusters four or whatever. Like I mean, they made two original, right? So they're saying this is Top Gun two, not Top Gun rebooted. No, Top Gun takes flight. Yeah, I guarantee that will be the colon after the colon. Or it might just be Top Gun Need for Speed. Yeah, don't though. Top Gun wasn't that Speed two? Speed two? No, that's Cruise Control. Oh, well, that works. <laughs> Thanks, Speed 2. You're good for something. Top Gun. Cruise, Cruise Control. control. <laughs> we're not even, Top Gun. We're not even trying. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, if, I imagine that's what they've got to do, right? They've got, so to, have, when they've we'll, got to have some emergency that the young pe- people can't solve and Maverick and Iceman have yeah. to get back in the game. So I assume the guys who, um, uh, now that they've announced Top Gun 2, I assume we'll be getting a new Hot Shots film as well. I hope so, right? <laughs> Charlie Sheen's coming out of retirement. He's in what, Charlie Sheen made an announcement on the Today Show <laughs> on Tuesday morning that he was making a Hot Shots part two. I would be more excited to see that than Top Gun 2. What's Charlie Sheen up to now? Like after oh the, God. you know, it went really terrible. Is he, what's what's going on with him I now? I don't know. 
I mean, it's one of those things where, like, I mean, he's ill, right? He's got HIV, mm-hmm. yeah? And um, obviously he had a whole bunch of problems with drugs and stuff like that. Let's see what's uh, going he on. He tweets a bit still. I was about, oh! Oh, God. Hot shots is happening? <laughs> Charlie, this is the headline from 10 hours ago, Charlie. We have some uh, late-breaking Charlie Sheen news. <laughs> I believe this might be another b- 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 bombshell uh, from TMZ.com, so the most reputable Reputable, site yeah. on the internet. We harass people on the way to their car. Uh, Charlie Sheen says Major League Three could happen. Right. So <laughs> I, I wasn't aware there was a Major League Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen Major League Two. I thought there was actually already a Major League Three. That he wasn't in. I don't... I'm is not, there any chance that they made another movie that he wasn't in and he just doesn't know it existed because he wasn't in now, it? Now, I'm not really au fait with Major League. I'm aware of it because I worked at a video store uh-huh. and I knew it was very popular. But is it actually good? I mean, it's not like considered a classic or anything. I think that the first one is very entertaining. I was in Cleveland, you set in a- Cleveland, and I was in Cleveland watching it one day when I was at the gym. And... Uh, I was on the walking machine and I thought, oh, I'll just watch oh, this. Rather than me going outside in Cleveland where it's really snowy and cold, I'm just going to stay in this warm gym on a walking machine and uh, watch Major League. Uh, but now the first one's pretty entertaining. Like it's a pretty, I mean, it's not. Remind a, me of the plot again. And so it's like, well, who's the protagonist? Well, Charlie I mean, Shane. Charlie Sheen is wild thing. Yeah, no. He's wild. Thing. Is it, so it's about him. Well, it's him and the the older guy. What's the his ah, name? Like uh, Scott Bakula. One no. of those great. No, not Scott Bakula. Tom Berenger. Tom Berenger. Yeah. That's right. And so, and then, and then there's Corbin Burn. Burnson. Burnson. Yeah, yeah. He's from fucking LA around on his wife. Right. And then there's the big guy who own like he's superstitious. Who's into voodoo? Wesley Snipes. And the, no, Wesley Snipes oh. is the the base runner, the really fast running guy. Yeah. Uh, he's he. Um, all right, let's fucking look it up. We've got time. That'll be all right. Let's uh, look up Major League. <laughs> By the way, uh, the movie I was thinking of was called Major League: Back to the Miners. Uh, oh, so the direct- which is the third in the Major League series, but it's a director video. Director video. One of the major stars. Does it? It doesn't count as doesn't uh, count as canon. canon. Yeah. Major League Three could still be possible. Um, let's go to Major League. Um, so Major League. Um, and I'll give you a, a plot here. Former Las Vegas showgirl Rachel Phelps inherits the Cleveland Indians baseball team from her deceased husband. So she's a former showgirl. Her husband dies. She gets the baseball team, right? right. Uh, Phelps receives a lucrative deal to move the team to Miami. So this is your kind of plot that's going on. They they're going to shut. The they're going to shut down the kids' gym, or yeah. Whatever. But they have to trigger the escape clause in the team's contract with the city of Cleveland. So to do this, she's got to get the attendance of the games to fall below a certain level. Right. So that's the idea, right? She's going to get the worst She wants she... them to suck. Yeah. She decides to replace existing players with aging veterans and inexperienced rookies. Would you say a ragtag bunch of misfits? In the hope that a bad team will cause attendance to decline. Phelps hires Lou Brown, a former coach from uh, the Toledo Mudhens, to manage them. Who's that played by? Uh, we'll get to that. Uh, during <laughs> spring training in Tucson, a Brown and veteran catcher, Jake Taylor, Discover the new team has interpersonal issues. Um, as well as their own struggles with the game. Problems include prima donna third baseman Roger Dawn. So that's, that's uh, Corbin Burnson. Oh, okay, right. Uh, the weakening arm of veteran pitcher Eddie Harris. I can't remember who he was played by. We'll Ed Harris, that. funnily enough. Played <laughs> Ed Harris. Yeah, played by Ed Harris. 
Uh, Taylor's knee issues, that's Berenger, he's got the knee issues, he's the catcher, but his, his knees are given out on him. Yeah. Uh, the inability of outfielder Pedro Serrano to hit curveballs. Superstitious guy. He's the superstitious guys. And Ricky Wild Thing Vaughan's dangerous lack of pitching control. Right, because he's got a super arm, but he can't direct it. It's a yeah. bit of a... A ripoff of uh, Tim Robbins in Bull Durham. Basically, right? Yeah. Uh, the team starts the season on a losing streak and Brown is about to demote Vaughn to the minors until he accidentally discovers that Vaughn cannot see. Ah, oh, that's right. He gets glasses. Right? Because he's this cool looking guy, but he yeah. has to wear the glasses. After being fitted with glasses, Vaughn's performance improves and the team begins to win. Taylor discovers that his ex-girlfriend, Lynn, is living in Cleveland and tries to reconcile with her despite her being engaged to marry another man. So this is that's yeah, kind of subplot. your other subplot. Uh, Phelps, angered by the team's improvement, tries to demoralize them by removing team amenities. She replaces their chartered team jet with a rickety propeller plane, refuses to fix their workout equipment, even has the hot water to the locking room turned off. Despite her efforts the team continues to win and bring themselves into contention for the division championships. The team VP, Charlie Donovan, visits Brown and informs him of Phelps' plan to make the team lose. He tells Brown that no matter how well they do, they'll be fired or released after the season. Brown holds a team meeting and lets the players know of Phelps' plan. Taylor speaks up and encourages the plan... The, the team to win the title anyway. Yeah. I'm starting to get a little through. <laughs> and Brown comes up with a way to motivate them into winning enough games to capture the title. The team succeeds in, try, in tying the division with the New York Yankees, leading to a one-game playoff to determine the champions. In the playoff game in Cleveland, the Yankees take an early lead, but Serrano is able to overcome his inability to hit a curveball and hits a home run to tie the game. In the top of the ninth with the bases loaded, Vaughn manages to strike out the Yankees' best hitter, and preserve the tie. And uh, with the game tied and the Indians with two outs, Willie Mays Hayes, that's Wesley Snipes, right. manages a single to get on base. He then steals second base while Taylor is batting, leading Taylor to suggest a trick play. Oh, oh that's here right. we go. A trick play. Yeah, he does the duck thing where they all fly together. Oh, no, hang on. Wrong, <laughs> Wrong inspirational <laughs> sports film. Taylor steps into bat and points to the outfield to call his shot like Babe Ruth. Yeah, right. So they set up for that. Yeah. Yankees picture the Duke brushes Taylor off home plate by intentionally throwing at his head, but a stubborn Taylor gets back up and again points to the outfield. With the Yankees prepare for the long play, in Taylor instead bunts, allowing Hayes to make it home safely and win the game. As the team celebrates, Taylor spots Lynn in the stands and no longer wearing her engagement ring. <laughs> this is one of those movies where everything, everything turns out. out fine for everyone. Uh, the two rush to hug each other as the city celebrates the victory. Who's playing that guy? That's the who's who? the league guy. His girlfriend. Who's... Berenger. Oh, that's Tom Berenger. Yeah, right. Tom Berenger. Yeah, Tom Berenger. So he does the bunt. He yeah. now enables he's, Wesley he's the Snipes to steal home. Right, and then he sees his wife. Yeah, ex-wife. His ex-wife. Okay, cool. Yeah, and he's. I've got, to, I've got to say that's a pretty good plot. I right? was. I was it's a, it's a very simple way. plot to hang a whole bunch of kind of funny jokes and bits and scenes around, I think. But are there funny scenes? Like, are there kind of classic bits? Yeah. I mean, yeah. All I can, when I think of it, all I, hear, all I think of is they chant wild thing when yeah. your face goes when up he goes out, Like, when he goes to pitch and there's, like, you see, like, there's some, yeah, montages of everyone around town singing his and praises. Don't they try and, and Wesley Snipes is kind of funny. He's, like, fast talking and all the little bits about, you know, the... You know, they get him a bucket of chicken for his voodoo and, yeah, right. you know, all those sort of things. Don't they, I seem to recall, do they motivate the team by having a cardboard cutout of the 
the woman who owns a team and she's in her underwear or something? Yeah, look, I mean, it might not all <laughs> hold up to the bechamel test. <laughs> no, what's that called? Not the bechamel. The bechamel test, which is, can you make a delicious <laughs> sauce, sauce to go with your cauliflower? <laughs> oh, no, it failed the Bechanel test, but it re- did really well in the Bechanel test because all those naked women who didn't have any plot points were covered in sauce. <laughs> yeah, all right. I might oh, actually watch that. Yeah. It feels like... So it's 80s, right? Like 89? 1989. Uh, 1989. Yeah, yeah, well done. Um, and Fuck, that- how did I know that? For someone who doesn't even know the film, I just... The people who were in it, that's how I zoned in on what era it was from. Okay, Major League Two. Let's have a look at what the plot of Major League Two What's was. What's the subheading? Uh, Major League Two, Back to the Miners? No, it doesn't. No, that was oh, the big one. That's good, though. Um, no, that's because you t- already told me that. Yeah, I know, but it's good. When you, <laughs> what I'm saying is, when you hear it, you do go, oh, oh that's yeah, good. No, yeah. That's good, yeah. Uh, Major League Two, a 1994 sequel to the original. Oh, um, they waited a long time. Well, they want to get the script right, Charlie. Yeah, yeah, they didn't just want to rush in off the heat of Major League. Uh, in the previous season, the Cleveland Indians won the Five division. years just to fucking locate Charlie Sheen. <laughs> That's like, why. They're ready to go. They're ready to go straight they actually away. Had it pre-written. I meant to actually be shooting both at once. <laughs> Back to the future stuff. In the previous season, the Cleveland Indians won the division title by beating the New York Yankees, right? So it's, yeah. that's one season ago. Uh, but were defeated in the ALCS by the Chicago White Sox. So, so that's when, where this picks up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the success the success of last season has changed the attitudes of the Indians. Pitching sensation Ricky, oh, now Rick, it seems like. Rick, a wild thing. Much like Ricky Ponting went from Ricky to Rick. <laughs> Rick, a wild thing, Vaughan has become a media sensation and such is now more concerned about his public image than his pitching. Well, mm. this happens. That's a yeah. that's a good like real life story to reflect. Mm-hmm. Uh, causing him to lose the edge on his fastball. Instead, he begins to rely on highly ineffective breaking balls, uh, to which he gives nicknames such as Eliminator and Humiliator. So he's get, coming up with these new pitches, but they're not. Yeah, he's covering the cracks. He's covering the cracks. Home run hitter Pedro Serrano becomes a Buddhist. Uh, taking the joke, spinning it for the sequel. He was in the voodoo in the first one, right? right? Uh, yeah, yeah. This is your version of like your, your group becoming baby group. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of the same joke, but they've twisted it enough that you can find it delightful again. Yeah. I like this. This is like a good comedy, you know, play. Well done. These are good ingredients. Yeah. If I was in the pitch meeting, I'd be like, yeah, yeah. take my money. Um, all right. Uh, he has a more- Will plas- Addison Studios went bankrupt today. <laughs> <laughs> again. Adopts a more placid, carefree style as opposed to the angry and aggressive player he was before. Center fielder Willie Mays Hayes is still as fast as ever, but is more concerned with hitting home runs and his movie career, which saw him star in an action film that was a flop and resulted in him spraining his knee. So is he's this, been is a- this based on Wesley Snipes' real life? Or? And also he's in jail for not doing his taxes. <laughs> <laughs> um, aging catcher Jake Taylor has also returned and conceited third baseman Roger Dawn has retired and purchased the team. So that's how you get ah, Corbin right. back. Yeah. He's now the owner of the team. And good, because then you change the dynamic. Right, and you need a new owner. Yeah. Uh, One of his first acts as owner is to sign Oakland A's all-star catcher Jack Parkman, which forces Jake to compete for his old position. Right. Jake against Jack. Hang on, Jake is Jake Taylor. Yeah, Jake's the old, Tom Berenger, the catcher, you know, who was almost done, you know, but they've won the title. Dodgy knee. He's got dodgy knees. And now they've got this new star in town. How's that going to play out? That's a good dynamic as yeah, well, right? That's good. If the guy's coming old to cop, replace him. Young line, old yeah, line. I like that. That's yeah. good. Does he teach him or does he compete with it? Oh, yeah. He's going to compete with right. it. Right. Uh, so uh, he competes. 
Uh, Jack Parkman is an arrogant jerk who thinks his team is a joke. To further complicate things, uh, minor league catcher Rube Baker has also been invited to camp despite his inability to throw the ball back to the pitcher with any consistency. Oh, okay. So there's two catchers. There's the all-star catcher who hates the team. Yeah. And there's this Rube. His yeah. name is actual Rube. Yeah. But he's also a Rube. Yeah. Who can't throw. Who's it going to be? That's a good see. There you go. Yeah, you're yeah. setting that up. A guy that you're going to hate versus a guy you can root for. Yeah. I like this. This is good ingredients. As the team breaks camp, Taylor discovers that although he made the team, he believes there's no way that manager Lou Brown is going to carry three catches as Parkman and Rube have also made the team. Right. Lou, after being confronted by Jake, informs Taylor he's not going to carry him as a player, but as a coach. Ooh! While initially upset about being forced into retirement, and with the small amount of job offers he gets, Jake elects to take Lou's offer and join the... So, a bit begrudgingly, but he joins the coaching staff. Yeah. Once again, the Indians slow uh, start Sorry, slow. can I just say, I'm surprised that they didn't just start the film with him as coach. Like, I understand that you have to build this tension in between, like, the Rube and the All-Star, but you could have done that all well and good with having been the coach. To me, just from a writing point of view, it feels like unnecessary plotting. You could have, could have come into the story a lot later. Yeah, I get that. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, anyway. But maybe they needed a little bit of set up for each of the characters. You know, yeah. they had to show Willie Mays Hayes doing his Hollywood and I guess thing. You've got to sweeten the audience by going, right. hey, look, it's everyone you remember doing the jobs you remember. Yeah, exactly. But now it's going to change. Now it's going to change. Yeah. Yeah, remember when he was like really crazy about one religion? He's really crazy about <laughs> another religion. Okay, you're up to date. Um, all right, so uh, to make... Oh, here we go. Um, once again, the Indians start slow. Uh, as Serrano's religious conversion causes him to struggle. Mm. The Buddhism's not helping him. Right. Uh, Hayes refuses... He the, wouldn't have a problem with the losses, though, because there'd be no attachment. Well, that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> He's, he, he doesn't even care about it. Yeah. Hayes refuses to play with even the slightest injury. Uh, Vaughan's control problems continue to plague him. And Parkman's ego poisons the clubhouse. Right. To make matters worse, Dawn has been unable to keep up with the franchise's finances and is forced to do strange things. Who's so fucking Dawn? Dawn, you know, um, uh, Corbin Birdson. Oh, right. Like, yeah. he's bought the team, but he's spent all his money buying the team and now he, like, can't afford to actually run the team, right? Yeah, no. Uh, so he's had to do strange things to bring in money, like such as covering Dolan the outfield dude. walls <laughs> with advertising. <laughs> right, sorry. I just thought he was, like, Give handjobs. Blowjobs the, the- <laughs> and the dugout. It's like, have you, got, have you gone to see the, uh, what are they called, the, the team? The, the Cleveland Indians? Have you gone to see you the Cleveland Indians? You know their team owner blows guys Seriously, at third base? It's like 15 bucks. If you, if you, <laughs> you can talk him down to 12. That's the weird part. Like, it's already cheap, and he'll take, it, he'll, he'll take the lowest offer you give. He does it at the seventh inning stretch <laughs> while people seem take me back to the ball game. <laughs> it's really, it's good, though. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, so, eventually, Lou ends the reaches the end of his tolerance regarding Parkman and decides to spend it to suspend him after Parkman criticizes the team in the local paper. So the new catch catcher doesn't like the team. Yeah. Uh, Parkman then informs Lou the suspension is moot as he's been traded to the White Sox, their enemy, the people who, uh, uh, so now he's going to go and play for the enemy. Yeah. Right. Lou confronts Dawn for not consulting him about the trade. Dawn explains he could no longer afford to play, uh, to, uh, to pay, pay Parkman. Right. Okay. Uh, in return, Japanese import, Isuru Kamikaze Tanaka. Yeah, I like it. A gifted left fielder with a penchant for crashing into the fence is sent to the Indians. What? So, Hang? What, what, why? When he's when he's fielding. Yeah, when he's fielding, like he's he's just they call him kamikaze because oh, he throws himself about with yeah, no exactly. regard for his own safety. Yeah. And right. so like he'll get the catch, but he'll smash into the field. A bit insensitive calling someone kamikaze. Oh, uh, 
I don't think it's a really positive <laughs> racial portrayal. No. I feel like I feel like as a Japanese person, you might not think it was the most sensitive portrayal. No. Uh, a sympathetic Heinrich Nazi <laughs> Guggenheim. I mean, a, I think it's a sympathetic but very comical portrayal of what yeah, right. uh, you know a Japanese baseball. Oh, I imagine in 1994 it was in very incredibly culturally fish sensitive. out of water. Uh, finally, out of options, Dawn sells the Indians back to Rachel Phelps. Right. She's back. Rachel keeps Dawn on as the Indians' general manager. And, and to he, blow guys in the dugout. Because <laughs> he's bringing in a lot of money. Uh, and his first order of business is to reactivate himself as a player. Oh, my <laughs> God. I'd forgotten That's about that. That's jumped the shark. I'd forgotten about that. Oh, yes. Can back in the game. Everyone's back. Hey, you know how you thought everything had changed? Everyone's back. Everyone's it's okay, back. guys. Everyone's yeah. back. Uh, Rachel doesn't need the money. She has more than enough. She bought the team back as revenge for ruining her plan to move the team to Miami. And now since this team is in last place, she has another chance to bring it back and watch them go down in flames. Oh, no. Good. They ran out of ideas. They, they they were going into brave territory. Yeah. Then they lost their nerve. And then they just said, and let's then just reverted, go back to the yeah, exact same idea. That's weird, right? Lou suffers a heart attack in the clubhouse. Oh. Due to his frustration over the team's performance, so they kill him. Right. They kill their coach, basically. They literally kill their coach through not trying hard enough. And Jake is given the reins of the team. Jake. The catcher. Jake? The, everyone hates. No, 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 no. That's Jack. Oh. Well, I can't Who's, remember. No, I think. Which that, one was Lou? Tom Berenger? <laughs> I thought Lou was Tom Berenger. <laughs> no, there was like a manager, and then there was Tom Berenger, oh, the right. catcher. Anyway. Okay, so Tom Berenger becomes coach. Yes. Okay. I think so. Well, maybe I'm... Yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, things come to a head during a doubleheader against the Boston Red Sox. Uh, Rube is hit by a pitch in his ankle, and Hayes is called upon to run for him. Hayes refuses to do it, which angers Jake. Uh, Vaughn chimes in, which causes Hayes to bring up his own struggles, and the two begin fighting. Soon, the entire team gets involved and begin fighting each other, resulting in everyone being ejected. Ah, oh, right. After the game, Tanaka criticizes Serrano for not having any marbles due to his struggles... Again, not a really sensitive. sensitive portrayal of mental health struggles. And Hayes makes a wise crack at Baker about his injury, while Rube chastises Hayes and the rest of the team for their lack of passion. Inspired by the speech, Hayes volunteers to run for the injured Baker in the bottom of the ninth inning in the second game and promptly steals second, third, and home to tie the score. It's pretty much what happened in the first one. Serrano, also inspired, demands that Jake insert him into the game to pinch hit, and he responds by hitting the game-winning home run. The win sparks a hot streak that the Indians ride all the way to a second straight division title, clinched by beating the Toronto Blue Jays on the last day of the season, right? Yeah. Now, that's where we got to in the last movie, though, right? So right. this is where they then go into kind of new territory. Again. Okay. Despite the team's hot streak, Vaughn continues to slump as his ineffective breaking pitches have caused him to lose confidence and his best pitch, his fastball. To make matters worse, he refuses to finish games he starts and has allowed the fans to get into his head. In the AL- also, he snorts up the lines on the field. <laughs> also, the actor playing him did not turn up to a lot of days of shooting, and we really had to rework around that. In the ALCS, the Indians square off in a rematch with the White Sox and win the first three games of the series. This inspires Rachel to give the team a phony pep talk before game four, which is purposely designed to get in the heads of the players and distract them. It works. A still struggling Vaughn gives up a winning, a game-winning home run to Parkman in the bottom of the ninth. The White Sox then defeat the Indians in the next two games, forcing a seventh game in Cleveland. Ah. The night before the game. There's a lot of detail, by the way, for Major League 2. Much more than there was <laughs> the for Major League. One. They kept it simple in Major League. They yeah. may have overcomplicated it in this one. Um, 
Well, the weird thing is they started they started by having all the change happen. Yep. Then they flipped back to the ordinary world. It's kind of like reverse of how most stories go. Well, let's... Uh, okay. They put the change at the start. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit weird. Uh, the night before the game, Jake goes to visit Vaughn at his home and tells him he might be called on a pitch in uh, Game 7. Vaughn nonchalantly tells Taylor he'll be ready, which infuriates Jake to the point where he lashes out at Vaughn. He calls Vaughn out for having lost his edge and not having his head in the game and tells him he's of no use to the team if he continues playing the way he is. Before Taylor leaves, he tells Vaughn to find his edge if it's not already escaped him. The White Sox jump out to an early 2-1 lead in Game 7 after Parkman bowls over Rube on a play at the plate, taunting him as he struggles to get up uh when the indians are down by one hayes reaches uh base on walk and taunts parkman by telling him he's going to score on the play without sliding rube then line drives to the left field corner and hayes rounds the bases and heads for home the ball gets to parkman first but hayes making good on his promise not to slide hurdles over parkman Uh, and lands on the home plate Parkman responds, however, by hitting a three-run homer in the seventh inning and the White Sox take a 5-3 lead into the bottom of the eighth. Although the Indians get a runner on, uh, two quick outs are recorded and Jake is forced to make a strategic move he tried to avoid the whole season. Although Dawn is still on the active roster up until this point, Jake refuses to put him into a game and yeah, even mocks enough. him for signing himself. Yep, I agree with both the pitcher, <laughs> the pitcher on the mound for the White Sox has had great success against Dawn in his career, but always pitched him inside. Based on that, Jake sends Dawn to pinch hit and take one for the team. So the tying run can get on base. So it's similar to the bunt last year. Yeah. I'm going to say Jake's tactical now is <laughs> fairly predictable. But basically he's just saying, hey, unsympathetic character, yeah. could you please cop a ball now? <laughs> Dawn takes a pitch in the back and is pulled for a pinch runner, eventually being forced to the bench despite his best efforts to stay in. <laughs> Uh, Serrano steps in having apparently reverted to his more placid self he greets Parkman who reminds him that his team is still losing the game after taking two pitches and being impressed by them Serrano's teammates begin shaking little bags of marbles at him Okay, is some Buddhist thing? No, that was the yeah because uh, Kamikaze told him that he'd lost his marbles Oh, that's not going to help <laughs> that's, uh, All right the Cuban slugger, amazingly, is able to find a balance between the calmer and the more angry sides of him. Oh, he's yin and yang? And drills the next pitch over the fence to give the Indians a 6-5 lead. As he steps on home plate, Serrano emphatically tells Parkman, look at the scoreboard now, grasshopper. <laughs> I thought you were say motherfucker, but grasshopper makes a lot more sense. <laughs> Grass motherfucker hopper. <laughs> The game is not over yet. The go-ahead runs reach base with two outs at the top of the ninth. Jake calls on Vaughn to get the final out, and to everyone's amazement, Vaughn takes Jake's message to heart and has apparently rediscovers his edge. Well, to everyone's surprise, but people who've watched a movie before, <laughs> or the first movie. <laughs> to further this, he tells Jake that he does not want to pitch it does not want to pitch to the batter he was called upon to face. Instead, he wants another shot at Parkman. Oh, who Parkman's on, fucking copping it. Yeah, who was on deck. Uh, Jake cannot believe what Vaughn is suggesting as an intentional walk will load the bases. So right. Parkman's up next and this is Jake's coaching move and this is like, no, 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 walk it so the bases are loaded and then pitch to the guy who has constantly smashed you out of the park. <laughs> I mean, it's a... It's bold. A, it's a bold move if, when it comes off. But if it if it doesn't come off, yeah. that's a tough week at the office you'd imagine the next week, right? Mm. Uh, Vaughn states again that he wants to face his old nemesis one more time. Uh, convinced, Jake hands Vaughn the ball, walks the batter ahead of Parkman to bring him to the plate with a chance 
to drive. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Vaughn throws a fastball that Parkman swings through for strike one, then follows with another fastball that Parkman fouls straight back. With two strikes on him, an impressed Parkman dares Vaughn to throw it a third time. Vaughn fearlessly uh, complies, telling dun, them dun, that if he gets a dun, piece dun, of it... Dun, 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 wild <laughs> thing, yeah. Uh, Vaughn tells him uh, if he gets a piece of it, he can rename it. When While Rube attempts... Uh, while Rube attempts to get back at Parkman and taunt him in the same way he'd been taught it earlier. Vaughn delivers one more fastball and Parkman swings through it, striking out to end the game and send the Indians to the World Series. Wow. Phelps' plan to get rid of the players and move the team to Miami fails once again. Yeah, Phelps really doesn't have much to do in this film. Comes in to no. say, I hope you guys fail, and then, oh, you yeah. guys didn't fail. The only reason she came back was to get Corbin Burnson back in the game. Who played Parkman? Uh, Who was the? Because that's. I mean, that's an unrepentant douche character, the likes of which we haven't seen since um, William Atherton, who played Walter Peck in Ghostbusters. I'll run you through the cast. Yeah. Um, Charlie Sheen as Ricky Wild Thing Vaughn. Yeah. Tom Berenger as Jake Taylor. Corbin Burnson as Roger Dawn. Dennis Haysbert as Pedro Serrano. Dennis Haysbert is that guy from all those cop shows, right? Oh, he plays a president. Uh, it's yeah. kind of. I can't believe it's not Morgan Freeman. Um. Okay. Anyway, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, he was uh, the president from Twenty Four. I knew it. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I, I had forgotten that it was him. <laughs> so the president from Twenty Four <laughs> is Serrano. Okay, nice. And the voice of those uh, Geico or whatever oh, commercials yeah. they are in America. That's right. The voice of insurance in America. Uh, James Gammon as Lou Brown. Omar Epps as Willie Mays Hayes. Oh, oh, they replaced him. Willie, that's right. Oh. Wesley Snipes did not come back for the sequel. I forgot about that. Um, David Keith as Jack Parkman. Oh, David Keith. Yeah, he's a yeah. He's not really like a classic douchebag actor from that era, but yeah. Okay, I know David go. Keith. Yeah, all right. Okay, so there you go. And uh, here's one that I had forgotten who was in this um, film. Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> Rene Russo played oh, Lynn yeah, Wells. Right. Yeah, Rene Russo was the love interest. Uh, also starring Jay Leno as himself, uh, Randy Quaid as an extremely loyal fan, and Jesse Ventura as himself. <laughs> stars are plenty. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, all right, we should finish up. Uh, we have a Patreon page. Uh, yeah, patreon.com forward slash tofop. Uh, it's basically an ongoing Kickstarter where you can um, support the show by donating an amount that will be subtracted from your, your credit card or your bank account monthly. Um, any amount you want to donate from a dollar up to will. Uh, the domestic uh, gross box office of the film Major League, $50 million. Yeah, yeah. We'll take up to 55. Yeah. We'll just give ourselves a little wriggle room. Yeah, well, that's, um, uh, yeah, adjusted. <laughs> adjusted for time. Yeah. Uh, we have a Facebook page. Yes. Um, uh, we have a Twitter account at Tofop. Um, we, uh, what else do we have? We, got Twitter, blah, blah, blah. we have an Instagram account, but I don't think we've updated that in a long time. Um, but we have a football podcast. It's called Two Guys, One Cup, an AFL podcast, and it has its own uh, Facebook page now. So you'll be seeing less AFL stuff on the Tofop page for those who don't enjoy that. There's a whole page for the AFL page. Now. Oh, and we should also say we've been um, plugging our mate's show, uh, Am I Funny? Yeah. Uh, uh, Leon Surgeon. <laughs> um, <laughs> Different every week. He, uh, 
he is doing his stand-up gig this Monday, the 29th. If you're this Sydney, Monday? Yeah, I'm pretty... Is that... The, yeah. Monday's the 29th. It will yeah. be. It'll be the... Like, if you're listening to this the day it comes out, it'll yeah. be the next day. At the Lounge in Surrey Hills, have you performed comedy there? I have. It, that's not a bad little... That's a good place to do your first ever comedy gig. I must admit that I um, spoke to Leon <laughs> this week. I heard the episode. Because he uh, had a bit of material that was obviously... Um, uh, everybody knows about the tragedy that happened in Manchester and he had a piece that was nothing about that but would have been certainly sounded like it was referencing and about that so when it, when I, I spoke to him during the week mm. I didn't realise how close he was to the gig that, that, that leaving out that bit of material would be a substantial part of what he was planning to do. So uh, definitely listen to the podcast. It's a really easy and simple one to listen to. They're not really long episodes, episodes. And it really moves along. It's a really great story. And I think it'd be really fun, yeah, particularly if you live in Sydney, listen yeah. to the episodes and go down and see the gig. I think it'd be a really uh, fun thing to be part of. Yeah, so the lounge, in, it's, that's what it's called, right? The lounge, the lounge yeah. in, in Surrey Hills, Monday night. Uh, I'm not sure what time, but if you go to Leon, if you go to the I, Am I Funny uh, Twitter account or Instagram or whatever, there's all the details there. There you go. All right. Are we done? I think so, right? Yeah, well, I'm Charlie Clawson. <laughs> um, I'm Will Anderson. <laughs> you sounded confused. Oh, I should, that's why we're finished, but yeah. I should plug, uh, I'm going to Montreal. I'm doing my uh, show right. Critically Will in Montreal. If anyone's still listening after <laughs> we've done the sign off, I'm also going to be in Wagga, Belmont, uh, Nelson Bay, uh, some other dates, comedy.com.au um, and, and look up those dates. But Montreal, six shows at the Montreal Just for Last Festival, uh, Critically Will and um, tell people or come or Look, it's a lot of shows in a place where I don't have that much audience. So anything you can do to help. Is this sounding desperate? It is. It sounds like you're begging. Please, please come. Or just get people to come. Pay people to come to my show. Call in all your favours. <laughs> <laughs>